We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Um, February in Baltimore. Now, what you can see on camera is that I have on a sweater, beanie. But what you can't see is that um, the cleaner struck my sweater. So it actually feels like a midriff around this joint uh, right now, Jay. And I'm a little upset about that because, you know, I kind of put it on right, right before we started recording. I was like in a sweatsuit and I said, you know, let me get kind of camera ready. And so I literally feel like I'm wearing a midriff right now. I'm, I'm not standing up, uh, but. <laughs> I was going to say, I can't see a midriff, so I don't know. Feels a little, feels a little midriffy around this joint. So it, if I'm anything like um, uh, Poxitani Phil or whatever his name is, you know, the, yep. the, the, uh, the groundhog. groundhog. Yeah, so if 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 my sweater is anything like Poxitani Phil, then <laughs> we might have, we might have a couple more weeks of winter left because okay. it's a little chilly around this joint. Uh, how you feel? Good, good. Uh, just actually, as you know, we'll tell the world uh, right right before this recording, sent uh, our oldest back to Budapest. She is on her way for another six month stint uh, in, in this city that she loves. So. I'm a little emotional today, but I'm super proud of her and happy that she's going and happy to get over there. How about you? Yeah, her her, her first, um, you know, tour, I'll call it, allowed her to get acclimated. And, mm-hmm. and what was that like for her? Did it take her, you know, a long time to get comfortable with the language, with the exchange rate of money, moving about the, the village, the city? How did no, she I mean, surprisingly, you know, our kids are fairly well traveled for for kids. Um, and so she I mean, she took me all over in public transportation. She knew all the cafes. She had the reservations like everything is like she lived in the city her whole life. Um, and, and it's a super cool city. I, I loved it. Um, and so now she has her own apartment because she was in school before. And so that'll be like her first time living on her own uh, with a roommate and all kinds of cool stuff. So it's a pretty exciting time to be Kennedy and uh, I miss her. Well, as you should, uh, because as a parent, as a mom, if you didn't say you missed her. <laughs> May have been some days that I wouldn't say that I missed her, but uh, some days is okay. <laughs> but the point is, you know, when we know we're aboard a plane, we're completely out of the country. And for you to, not say that that would uh that would actually raise a bit of a flag um for some folks i'll I'll tell you somebody else who actually raised a flag we we may not get a chance to talk about her i I didn't write her down but but this is kind of funny maybe we can get to it but have you ever heard of bitch coin no 
Okay, so maybe we'll try to get to it. But for those of you who are out there listening, the young lady's name is Sarah Mayoha. Mayoha, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Sarah, S-A-R-A-H-M-E-Y-O-H-A-S. Sarah Mayoha. Let's see if we can get to Sarah um, and her contribution to the cryptocurrency market. Um, So let's start with our congressional lawmakers. They are actually focused on women. Um, And they are focused on trying to pass a Pregnant Workers Fairness Act in the Senate in 2022. Let me tell you why this is a really, really like big deal for me, because I think about, you know, how how long we've been saying. We owe it to women. To curate benefit packages that are a bit more, even if I don't use the word a la carte, more customized and focused on their needs versus just throwing them uh, a PDF and saying, this is what it is. Yep. And so I'm, I'm happy that they are working hard as a body, political body, to uh, make some changes to um, you know, women who decide to give birth. Yeah, well, you know, I was reading this and and you may not know this, but most of the time pregnancy is covered under disability in terms of like a lot of the protections, accommodations, those kind of things. And so it's interesting to me that we still need to have another law that basically it seems like just outlines accommodations for women when they're pregnant. Like most of the time we talk about pregnancy, we talk about how short the leave is, how much of it is unpaid, um, you know, how little time a a parent, female or male, get to spend with their newborn, right? And that's a huge thing. Um, But it looks like most of this is really talking about the basic accommodations that a, a pregnant woman needs while on the job. And these are not like huge things. It's like, having water, um, being able to take a break more often, um, you know, maybe starting or early ending a little earlier, going on light duty, those things that really should already be ingrained into our cultures, um, need to be codified here by Congress. And I think that's a little bit discouraging. Um, you know, and, and, I hope, I think one thing that's really been on my brain a lot the last few weeks is, um, also just miscarriage when a when a woman is pregnant and she gives birth to a live child and they get leave and they do all of those things um when a woman miscarriage miscarries excuse me there are substantially a lot less accommodations and supports for women because it's not really kind of largely recognized as a traumatic event some women who have miscarriages do give birth um to to fetuses that have passed away and you know that really isn't covered it's like hey you had a minor surgery you come back in a few days later you kind of get over it and move on um i'd love to see that kind of stuff uh, you know really addressed here to look at the totality of a woman um as she goes through that journey of of pregnancy birth and and sometimes loss 
Yeah, absolutely. And again, you 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 raise an interesting point around the need for legislation. And I think that we'll always have needs for legislation. You know, things change. Uh, we go through various cycles. Humanity moves at a different pace, different frequency, and it requires that we add, you know, layers of protection, layers of consideration. Um, so I, I absolutely get that. But you do raise an interesting point because, again, down at the state level, you see they have no issue challenging some of the protections for women. You see at the highest level, the Supreme Court, they are considering some of those same challenges um, against women. And yet, right in the middle, it's like we're struggling to get that right. Yeah, the basics. Um, yeah, the basics. We're the struggling basics. to get the basics right. We, we're, we're willing to operate on the extremities, the extremes, mm -hmm. if you will, but we're struggling to get the basics right. I, I submit that, uh, and I don't know this to be a fact, but my guess is that there are more women in the workplace that need this right here and or what you mentioned around stillbirths, miscarriages, than some of the other legislation that's being bounced around. So I hope that they can get their act together and make this happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so another Tesla story today, Kaylin Barker. Another one. Uh, I, they must be in your feed like you're getting sent those Tesla stories all the time. Um, Kaylin Barker in the news um, regarding the environment and te Tesla, excuse me, Tesla's California factory, um, calling it reminiscent of the Jim Crow era. I think we should just start calling it the Jim Crow era. Again, based on all the things that we're seeing, it's not reminiscent. It, we're back there um, in some places. Um, so the suit alleges that in September, after Barker asked Joanne, after um, the the woman, Kaylin Barker, excuse me, asked a woman to step back from some machinery for safety reasons, the woman that she supervised, um, the employee called her the N-word and threw a hot grinding tool at her. Um, mm -hmm. she, she was injured. Um, and along with it, it seems like dozens of other incidences, Ms. Barker reported to HR and the woman was fired, but then rehired two weeks later, two weeks later. And this is the same plant where Owen Diaz, the guy who was working the elevator, uh, brought, uh, his suit and wasn't it 300, was it 300 million or 30? It was, it, it, it was, was a bunch a of millions. <laughs> Yeah, it was a bunch of millions. I, I forget the number right now off the top of my head. But Owen Diaz, just literally, this was just within the last 90 days that we covered that story and the resolution to his litigation. And, you know, again, it just really goes to show that you, you have some people in leadership that are absolutely um, willing to turn a blind eye to turn a side eye to uh, the activity, some of it egregious, the egregious activity of some of their people. And, and I think about, you know, I think about in this instance, Julie, I think about, I, I'm going to go personal. And I think I've shared this story before. I think about my time when I was leading a team at MCI Communications, and I vividly recall one of my top performers in sales was an addict. He had a drug problem. 
And he would go missing for two days here, a day here, maybe three days here. And then he'd come back. And when I say missing, no call, no show, just missing. And in the beginning, I didn't really understand it. And I think I was, I was an average in terms of leader. Like I had probably been in the role 18, 24 months, something like that, fairly new. But then I started to recognize, okay, well, wait a minute. I'm not holding him accountable for his actions, for his absences. And the reason I'm not holding him accountable is because he's one of my top performers. I need his contribution so that we can smash our sales goal. He generates income. I generate income. But when I recognize why he was away, I just asked myself a simple question. Does he, is he able to purchase drugs if he has no money? So if I cut off his ability to generate income, then hopefully I help him reposition himself to get help. And so I cut off an artery, a production artery, because I was trying to save him. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, you know, why is it that this person felt I'm going to rehire a person who is throwing equipment at other employees? Why, why would I do that? I have no idea. It's, I mean, obviously. Hiring is not easy right now, but that, I mean, you basically like just sign the check on someone's lawsuit when you do that. It, it makes no sense to give that woman a job back under any circumstances because it, it basically is a justification of Kaylin Barker's lawsuit that she can be treated any way that she wants, which she has reported you know, it seems like dozens of times, um, and then to be physically assaulted and have that person still work um, under your your leadership is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope that she wins too. Like, yes. I hope that she wins as well and and that the organization itself decides that they are going to absolutely do something uh, around how they are approaching inclusion. This is one of those stories where I wish we were live and I could I could ring Kimberly Jones, our good friend Kim Jones out in California, so she could just give us a comment real quick. Shout out to the Queendom uh, in California. Uh, Madam Speaker, a new Instagram account called Dear White Staffers has been collecting Troubling can we? If you got some extraneous, I'm happy to get to it. But let's no, no, talk. No, no, we're we're trying to keep government open. But we're trying to be preeminent in the world, and I'm happy to come back to that. Any questions on what we're doing here, Jake? What do you got? What do you have? Just like that, Nancy Pelosi's like, whatever. We'll leave that right there. Nancy Pelosi is not in any way having it. <laughs> Jay, she wasn't trying to talk about that Instagram account, the Dear White Staffers. That Instagram account, now, it, I would think at this particular point, they'd have a couple hundred thousand followers, um, but it's still, it's still funny. Have you looked at it at all? Uh, I just started checking it out, getting ready for this story. It's, I mean, it, like, I think we all know how congressional staffers are treated. If we're into politics, which obviously I am. Um, but to like everyone outside of the Beltway to be seeing these like horror stories. And these are people who make like 
twenty twenty five thousand dollars a year to start like no money and then they get treated like this and it it's well worth reading um dear white staffers on instagram congress needs to do better absolutely need to do better and in a flash that ig account isn't afraid to spill the public tea nba teams are adding chief experience officers to their c-suites while nfl Teams are wondering if their owner has been out showing their ass. Way too many real Tinto workers said that they were scared to report abusive behavior. And yet again, another black body. Write your resume software uh, for humans. That's what Ian Siegel says. He's the co-founder of ZipRecruiter. And on Reuters, the headline read, Rio's dreadful workplace workplace report may boost the cost of energy transition. What that suggests is that we're going to have to pay for their poor work environment and leadership. And from Joe Rogan and his use of the N-word, which is old, and his apology, which is new, imagine that you and I, again, are paying for that sexual assault. Sounds a bit artificial, less than fair to me. And no matter what you might be thinking at this very moment, Jay and I will be right back. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We out. All right. So you mentioned a, a mining story before the break. Um, yeah, that's that's Rio that. Tinto. Yeah, yeah. That that's the the piece that I mentioned. You know, with with Rio, because again, it, it was interesting for me because it's a space that we don't talk much about. Like when I think about the conversations that we've had, the various environments and workplaces in which we've focused our attention, which we've narrowed our conversation. I don't remember our ever discussing the mining space, the industry of mining, the industry of foresting. I don't recall us ever talking about those spaces, but what happened was this particular week, um, a report came out and it was focused on the mining industry. It's a company called Rio Tinto. Um, and they have female employees in there, which, which unfortunately have been, and that, that certainly wasn't a smile. It was a gasp. They have like, when you are thinking about going down the shaft of a mine, you are in those little cages, those little elevated cages. You are pressed together. And the story starts to talk about how women are standing there so extremely close to their male colleagues, and they can absolutely feel men grabbing and groping them. And I had to stop for a moment and I'm like, you know, wh where do they do that at? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is an Australian based company. And to have, um, they actually put this report out on their own. They're like, hey, we treat employees very, very badly to the point where we've had 
attempted rapes, actual rapes of female colleagues, um, you know, a known list of people you cannot have meetings with in the morning or in the night, going down in what are pretty perilous conditions already, and then being sexually assaulted in a mine uh, shaft elevator. Like it's, it's wow. Um, and they're really the first out to have this kind of open and honest conversation and sort of bring to light the egregious treatment of, of both women and men in the mining industry when it comes to sexual harassment and sexual abuse. Yeah. Abusive, toxic, hazardous, inappropriate, violating type treatment that women are experiencing in the industry. And I will tell you, I was a little surprised because I'm thinking to myself, well, well, how many women are actually in the industry? And when I looked at some of the numbers, I'm like, well, it's, I would say significantly more than I thought it would be. Fair. And so for a moment I had to pause because I'm, well, why did I expect that would, would not be uh, a lot of, I just didn't think that it would be a lot of women working in that industry. And it was actually much more than I thought that it would be. And, you know, where I wanted to go this week, you know, Julie, I just wanted I just wanted to put a general question out there. You know, when we think about Joe Rogan and his use of the N word, um, which to me is one thing, the comment around it looking like I just walked into the planet of the apes referring to a room of black people, a business location of black people, that comment was even more problematic for me because there was no context around that, so to speak. That was just you speaking how you felt. But when I think about Joe Rogan and what he's dealing with, um, when I think about the conversation of Brian, Brian Flores for um, his suit against the NFL, the timing of the suit, seeing as though this is Super Bowl weekend. I just asked the question, when is enough enough? From a football standpoint, I'm gifted in, in this. I love coaching. Um, but but you know, to speak out, to file a lawsuit, um, put something that I'm so passionate about that... Um, I know I've made an impact as a coach, as a leader, um, on young players. It puts all that in jeopardy. Um, and a lot of people aren't willing to do that. Um, but I, again, I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about, you know, those other coaches who don't, who don't feel like they have this voice and, you know, that younger generation that, that needs to see more people that look like them and, you know, head coach and GM positions of power. Like how 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 much more has to happen for people to recognize this really is enough. Like, okay, game over. We've proved our point. Let's do something different. When is enough enough? You know, what's I think most flooring to me, if we we talk about Joe Rogan first, is Spotify paid $100 million to have exclusively the Joe Rogan 
show experience, whatever the fuck you call it, on their site, on their platform. So they are the publisher, the exclusive publisher of the Joe Rogan experience. And I was flipping through Twitter the other day, and there's a video, I'm sure you've seen it, of him using the N-word on, I think in that, it was like six, seven different occasions, six, seven different shows where he he used the word. And you cannot tell me that Spotify did not spend, or Spotify spent $100 million and didn't have someone listen to every single episode. Did not do that due diligence, that that vetting of the content that they were paying exclusive rights for. So Spotify's leadership as the sole publisher, as the owner really of that content, um, they justified it and they knew about it before they paid for it. And that to me is the, when is enough, enough, the question, right? Like, you didn't find out about it and then condemn it. You didn't try a rule and it failed. You, you know, you didn't kind of cheat a rule. You knew that he was out using the N-word, that he was having anti-Semitic guests on who said that, you know, the Holocaust probably, you know, 200,000 people died of like typhoid or something and not 6 million Jewish people um, from around the world and still thought it was okay to exclusively produce this content. Like, that's what I don't get. Yeah, and so here, here's what's, here, here's the challenge. The challenge in this show for me is, um, I'm posing the question. You, you didn't ask the question, I did. And that's not to say that we don't share that question, but I asked the question. So for the listening audience, you're, you're hearing, well, wow, Torrin is a bit frustrated. But I want to remind you, you know, again, and we, I, I try to operate in a place of authenticity, reality, honesty, transparency. When Dave Chappelle was going through his issue, I didn't feel like Netflix should pull his content from their site. I don't feel like Spotify should pull Joe Rogan's content. Do I think that his comments are like off the wall and kind of, yeah. But I still don't feel like they should pull his content. And I think part of the reason why I feel that way, <sighs> part of the reason why I feel that way, Jay, is because individuals are going to always find a home. Whether that home be public facing, whether it be some place that's off on the corner. You remember we had an episode and I shared a link with you. I can't remember what we were, but you went to the homepage and you were like, whoa, it was crazy. The content that these people had, it was so bad. We didn't even mention the link on the show because we didn't even want people to go over there. So I know I sound conflicted. I might sound a bit hypocritical to our listener, and I don't want you to feel that way. But if you do, that's totally up to you. I don't feel they should pull his content. I just choose not to support it. I'm not listening to the show. I don't use Spotify. 
I'm not using Spotify and I try to operate in some ways. I try to operate in a control the controllable posture. You've heard that phrase before, control the controllable. I try to operate with that control the controllable posture. So I can, if I want, I can send a message to Spotify. I can, you know, tweet the NFL because of Brian Flores. I can reach out to the board for Rio Tinto um, and talk about what they're doing with women. I, I can control certain things, but I ain't tripping on them being on the platform. So t- tell me, tell me why. And I, I struggle with the same conversation or the same, you know, issues in my head. Yes, someone like Joe Rogan or someone who uses that word or who is an anti-vaxxer is going to find an audience somewhere and free speech protects their right to say what they want without um, fear or influence from from the U.S. government. But why? Why does he why is it okay that he says all of these things and a hundred million people or how many ever people, you know, listen to him say that word and he makes all of this money and it makes it okay? Like, I feel like it normalizes and maybe, you know, your point is just like, Julie, you're not going to get Joe Rogan pulled. So do the things that you can do and change the things that you can. But I really struggle with when these like social media media platforms period should should give voice to and and lots and lots of money to really dark antiquated um pervasive racism like he does yeah but again think about it you know um how is it that spotify is able to first of all let me go to your your original question the hundred million listeners or whatever that count is. What that says to me is that that messaging, there's an appetite for that messaging. Somehow he has tapped into, he's tapped into a, an interest of theirs. He's garnered their attention. And whether or not they believe much of what he says, all of what he says will run through brick walls for him. I think that's a question that they have to answer. I I think what we're doing right now is we are we're almost hypothesizing, you you know, kind of when we are recruited, we say we try to ask behavioral based questions and not hypothetical questions because we're trying to get more of how a person will actually performing the role based on their prior experience, their prior contribution. I think it's a question that those millions of listeners should be asking. You see, they're the ones who are out on the platform saying freedom of speech. They're the ones who are saying he did absolutely nothing wrong. I I think about the conversation right now in some circles that's happening in Minnesota with the death of Amir Locke. There are people counter-protesters, counter-protesters that are saying the police did everything right, that there was nothing that they did wrong in that scenario. And I was in a conversation with our producer and I said, you know, well, first question is, did they knock on the, did they do the no-knock warrant on the right address? 
Because if, in fact, we go and find out that the no-knock warrant is on the right address, it's going to be a hard argument to suggest that the police didn't do what they were supposed to do. And I haven't heard that in any of the news accounts. I haven't heard whether or not it's the right address. And so I just think that when we are looking at a lot of these scenarios, we struggle because we're trying to we're trying to process it through the lens of the people that are participating. Does that make sense? Yes. No, it does. I mean, you know, one, just I think no knock warrants need to be gone away with, period. If you come into my home and you don't knock, I'm going to assume that you are here to hurt me or my family. Uh, I had a, a friend um, about 15, 20 years ago who was c- killed by the police in his bed um, after they entered um, his home while he was sleeping. And so that's something I, I just feel very, very strongly about. And I think to the point, you know, just kind of putting these two together and, and maybe even the Rooney rule together is that even if you did nothing wrong, right, under the law, under the rules, under the, you know, whatever, then it means that the rules aren't right. And we have to start thinking differently about what is allowable under the rules and what is appropriate and correct in terms of how you treat and engage um, humans um, and and especially maybe not especially, but and those that help you make a dollar um, for your brand. And what I hear is that, you know, again, if we think about these various scenarios, whether it be the mining organization, having different people um, in leadership, different people considering how is it that we are moving to and from our work location, what are our policies for holding people accountable? What's the um, toxic, you know, um, procedure and protocol for reporting incident and acting on those incidents? When we think about the Rooney rule and then Brian Flores's case, what are we going to change about our owners? How are we going to absolutely fine and or sanction them for simply going through the procedure and not being genuine and authentic about it? There is absolutely something that they can do. How do we shift some of the power away from the owners? Maybe we don't give them the TV rights and the access that they are, you know, clamoring for and absolutely winning from. Maybe we penalize them in the draft process change the rules is what I hear you saying. I hear you saying as it relates to policemen being able to say, you know, well, wait a minute, before we go and knock on this door, could we maybe have sat outside the home for a day, a couple of days, a couple of hours and watch the movement to see, is there something different that we can be doing? And what this requires, not only is it that we are changing the rules, the regulation, the policy, the procedure, but it's changing who is hosting these conversations, contributing to these conversations. And so for some of you out there, you might say, well, wow, Torn and Julie, they went from the Rooney Rule to mining to, you know, um, what else did we talk about? Joe Rogan. I mean, we, we were on, but all of these are around inclusion. It's all around who's sitting at the table shaping how the solution is presented to society. 
Who's sitting at the table shaping how the solution is presented to a particular community? We got to have different voices, which is an even more critical reason why we should be working to have representation. I think you've wrapped it up completely. Let's hear from our Her Voice sponsor and come back and celebrate some women. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Absolutely. Our Her Voice segment is about amplifying women that are making moves. It's sponsored by Tal Vista, seeing beyond the obvious. And our first woman this week is a friend of ours. She actually hit the Wall Street Journal last week. She was talking about the great collar strategy and that person um, you know, touched on the future of work and how it hinged on the understanding that talents and labor aren't all young. And that was said by our dear friend, Lori Rudiman out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Shout out to you, Miss Lori Rudiman. And then we have Priscilla Coronado, who has become the first Latina to lead the prestigious Harvard Law Review in its 135-year history. Uh, the California-born children of Mex- child of Mexican immigrants plans to make the most of the moment by sharing her unique perspective and not shying away from her Latina culture. And last but not least, Boston City Councilors Julia Mejia, or Mejia, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Julia Mejia and Tania Fernandez-Anderson are proposing a new 15-member panel to study the impacts of systemic racism on the city and to explore the possible reparations for Black residents. The reason I put this in there real quick, Julie, I just want to put this in. In December of 2017, I believe it was December of 2017, 2018, I'm sorry, December of 2018, Boston Globe did a seven-part series. I keep telling you all, you should go and read it. Seven-part series, and the headline of the first installation was, Is Boston Racist? And in that story, it said the wealth, the average net worth of a Black family in Boston was like $8.38. So I am extremely, extremely, extremely satisfied that they are putting together this panel and hopefully we'll be able to look at the impact of systemic racism in the city of Boston. And uh, as we wrap up the show this week, I'm going to use uh, my name drop this week for us. Um, Crazy and the King is adding transcription to our podcast episodes um, in our bid to be more inclusive and accessible to um, every human who's out there who wants to listen to Crazy and the King. So now every season, every episode of season four um, has a transcription available. And since we had such amazing guests the last six weeks of 2021, we've also added transcriptions for all of those interviews. You can check them out at crazyandtheking.com. 
Love that, love that, love that. Shout out to us. We're just growing. We're trying to use year number four, our fourth year. We're trying to get in stride and do some different things. I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe. Find your voice. Let's build better cultures, better teams, better workplaces. Like you really can do it, but you do have to find your voice. You got to speak up. You have to absolutely speak up. For now, Jay and I are Ghost. See ya. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.